0: we're going to be talking about right here amazing love i know it's true it's my joy to honor you and all that i do i want to honor you Uh, that that is the message right there so if you want to write that slide down then maybe you don't have to take notes but i ask that you would take still some notes Alright, uh, we are going to be in Philippians. We're going to pick it up at verse 27. You can turn there now. It's going to take me a moment to get there, so don't, you, you have plenty of time to get to Philippians. But uh, how do you behave when no one is looking? How do you behave when no one is looking? Now you remember Camid, Candid Camera, right? and all the embarrassing things people would do and when nobody was looking their real true character was revealed whatever it was I know for you millennials you have never seen Alan Funt have never seen it but it was funny back then okay but it was hidden cameras that caught you acting as you truly are and so again I ask how do you behave when no one is looking but I have a deeper question maybe it's a deeper question do you behave differently when an authority figure that's in your life, the authority figure in your life is missing or is gone? You know, when your boss is not around, do you act differently? We probably all know those people we've worked with, they act differently when the boss isn't around, and you all said what? Amen. We've seen those people, and my question is, is Do you behave differently when an authority figure in your life is missing or gone? Or do you drive differently when there is a police car behind you? Seriously, that is a legitimate question. Do you drive differently when there is a police officer behind you? Do you suddenly use your turn signals? You didn't even know what that lever was for, right? You thought it was just an accessory of something. Then suddenly, when a police officer is following you, you, you flip it on, right? I remember once, we're in Carson City, Nevada. We're driving the three girls. Our three girls were little. They're in the car. We're driving. Speed limit posted is 35. There's a motorcycle cop, and he's going like 20. So I pass him, and I'm going 35. Woo, woo, woo. I get pulled over. This kid, and he was a kid, he looked like he was 17, okay, he comes and he gets off his motorcycle and he comes over, and he wants to exercise his authority, and he says, you passed me, and I said, yeah, well, you can't pass a police officer, I said, I was going the speed limit, and then he didn't know what to say, and then he kind of got his feathers ruffled, and I really thought at one moment in time I was going to be hauled off to jail, and uh, it, wasn't that a little unnerving? Because this guy had attitude. But the question still remains, if somebody is an authority figure in your life, do you behave differently? Now, maybe even a deeper question is, and maybe because it's what motivates you, do you live your life differently when the influencer of your life is missing or gone? You know, college kids might suddenly behave differently in their dorm than they did at home because the influence is is gone um now what do i mean i mean where is this thought taking us i'll ask myself a personal question did i live differently after my father passed away you know because suddenly i'm the patriarch of the family not me personally but that generation is gone my father is gone We're the next generation. Do I live differently now that my father has passed away? Or do you live differently after someone you love, someone that had maybe authority or an influence in your life, is now out of your life? A parent, a mentor, a friend, a spouse? Even when pastors suddenly leave to go to another church, is, is that person gone? So this isn't necessarily a negative concept. I don't want you to think that this is a negative concept. I'm just asking as long as there was a person in your life, they were kind of acting like training wheels to you. So you didn't crash and burn or fall. You know those bumper pads that you go to the bowling alley? You can you can paint or have the little bumper so every ball is not a gutter ball, right? And it just kind of bounces. But what those guardrails keep you on focus, it keeps you on task. And there are people in our lives that are like that. That's why we need one another. We speak truth into one another's life through the word. And suddenly when those people are gone, man, it's like what do we do? What do we do when those people uh, are suddenly gone? Well, last week, Paul said in our message, verse 25, in fact, look at verse 25. He says this in verse 25, convinced, you know, should I stay? Should I go home to be with Jesus? I don't know what to do. And then he says, I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you. If you like to underline in your Bibles, look at this phrase. He's going to stay for what? For your progress and that three-letter word, joy in the faith. For your progress and joy in the faith, I'm going to stay and I'm still going to be your training wheels. I'm still going to be your mentor. I am going to be here for your progress and joy in the faith. See, Paul was an influencer. He was their mentor. He was their training wheels to keep them on the path of maturity, to spiritually form, uh, spiritual formation, keep them on their joy in the faith. And, you know, Philippians is just so filled with this three-letter three letter word, joy. And even though he states that he will remain for a while, they can't expect him to stay forever, can they? Sometime he's going to pass away. Sometime he's not going to be able to get there. He can't be their mentor or training wheels forever. And so he's going to use this as a teaching moment, and he's going to direct this thought towards them. Whether I come or not is not the issue. The issue is that you live as Christians. Living as a Christ follower. Living as a disciple of Christ. Living as a true Christian is the issue. And all that I do, Lord, it is my joy to give everything over to you. That is the issue. He says, I may come, I may not. I may die, I may not. But here's the issue that you can't... Fo- Don't focus on me, focus on this. He says, well, let's just get to our text. Let's get to the text for... Well, before we get there, I got one other thing to say. Whether I'm here or not, you have to be a real true blue believer. And, and I want to give you an example so this is kind of in your, in your, in your thought process. Let's pretend your son or daughter is about to go to kindergarten. If they're not going to kindergarten, they're going to go to uh, grade school or high school or even off to college. You sit them down and you say to your little kindergartner, Mommy and Daddy can't go to school with you. I'm going to be away from you. Or your college kid, Mommy and Daddy love you, but we can't live in the dorm with you. But you know you're going to be far away from me. I love you, and you love me. And I have trained you on how to live. I have trained you how to behave. I have trained you how to treat others. You carry the family name. I don't know if you've ever told your children that. You carry the name Wilson. Or whatever your last name is. You carry that name. So whether I come to visit you at school or not, you carry the name. Our way of life, our values, our beliefs. That's the issue. The training wheels are coming off. Don't be afraid. Because when the training wheels come off, guess what? You get to have more freedom, right? You get to do more fun things without training wheels. So now let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to pick it up at verse 7. He says this, Only, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here... I still have. Pretty remarkable words. He says, "This is the core issue. This is the issue." Now, out of this issue, there's three aspects. But before we get to the first one, let me tell you about this word only. He says, "I only ask one thing of you. I'm not asking you five things. I'm not asking you for ten things. I'm not asking you for anything, except for one thing." And it's interesting. This word, it can be translated alone. It can be translated solitary. It can be actually translated unwed. It can be translated exclusively. This little word only. He's saying, let's cut to the chase. If I come, that's great. If I can't come, that's going to be okay. Only this. This is the one premier issue that you guys have to focus on. Boils all down to this. And then he says this, only let your manner of life. Uh, This is a really interesting word. It's kind of weird, actually. It's a weird word. And you'll understand the flow of it uh, and the context of it because it's a word word that we get the word city from. It's like city. Yeah, P-O-L-I-S, like Indianapolis, See, the polis on the end of Indiana means it's the city of Indiana. So it's this word that just means city. And it's less like, why in the world would they translate the word that means city only let your manner of life? Lo- well, here's why. Remember, Philippi was a Roman city. 800 miles away from Rome. But because it's a Roman colony, it's like a little itty-bitty Rome. People there, they don't speak Greek. They don't speak the native language. They speak Latin because that's the Roman language. They dress like Romans, like the togas or whatever they had. They eat like Romans. They have homes like Romans. They entertain like Romans. There are little Colosseums there. There are amphitheaters there. You could go to Rome and look at all the architect and the way of life, and then you were to go to Philippi, and you would see exactly a little miniature Rome. In fact, the official religion was, we worship the emperor Nero. That was the accepted religion, official religion of Philippi. We worship Caesar, the emperor. He's a god, and his name happens to be Nero. So these inhabitants... Have a citizenship of being a Roman. A great honor and a great value. Do you know that Roman citizens didn't have to pay taxes? Wouldn't that be sweet? Hey, if you're an American citizen, you don't have to pay taxes. Wouldn't you love that? At least get excited about that. If you're an American, you don't have to. Everybody else has to pay. But if you're a Roman citizen, you don't have to pay tax. Everybody else has to pay so this word that Paul is, is, is using is connected to citizenship, an idea. That because you're a citizen, you're free. But each citizen has the task of furthering the goal of the city to the best of his ability. As a citizen, you live for the city. Polis, city, and from the word city, we get citizen. And that's why it's translated manner of life. How you live, how you live as a citizen, how you live for the cause. So Paul uses a word that triggers all these emotions in their mind, very very understood by the Philippians. But instead of connecting it to the city, he says, I'm connecting it to Jesus. You, you're to live your life in a way that is proper and right for a citizen of heaven, a follower of Christ, a follower of Jesus. You have to live according to the teachings of Jesus you have to live according to the love of Jesus you have to live according to the righteousness of Jesus we're supposed to live according to the purpose of Jesus we live by dying to self we live to serve him by serving others well I'm a follower of Christ I don't actually live like a follower but I'm a follower of Jesus, I wear the name Christian, but your life doesn't reflect it at all, then don't call yourself a Christian. <laughs> the joy of faith, that comes through being a follower of Christ. The joy comes by being a committed follower of Christ. The word itself, Christian, means I belong to Jesus or I belong to Christ. So when you call yourself, I'm a Christian, What you're saying is, I am following Jesus. My manner of life is to follow Him in everything, and all that I do. Where He leads, you follow. That means in your marriage, He leads you. In your purpose for living, He leads you. And your self-worth you're not tied into materialism or your your beauty or how talented you are to get your self-worth and self-esteem you get your value because you're a child of God and Jesus says I love you that's where we get our worth from where he leads you following your morality and your child raising you're gonna raise your child as Jesus would raise a child because the way you live should reflect his character, it should reflect his thoughts, it should reflect his message. And Paul's going to outline three aspects in a way that is worthy of the gospel. And by the way, this is just kind of FYI, this, this word worthy is this really interesting word that's, it's axios, that means it has weight. Does your life have weight? Are you impacting people for the gospel? Are you a heavyweight, not a lightweight? And he says, only, one boiled it down to one thing, only let your manner of life, your citizenship of following Jesus, let it be weighty. Let it have meat. Let it have meaning. And then it says this, go back to the text, and you can underline this because the three things are right there in your text. He says, so whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm. That's the very first fill in the blank. You are standing firm. That's that's a way that you will live your life, that you are going to stand firm. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read some of the ancient philosophers, Socrates and Aristotle and Plato, one of the things that they did for us, they did us a favor, they defined words for us. And that way words have meaning and it has context. Plato said that this word means non-movable. It's like you are so in the ground you are non-movable. You're going to stand firm in the faith. It's actually a military term. It meant that you were a guard and you had to stand your ground. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, have you? You stand your ground and you are not going to move at all. That to live as a Christian means that you're going to stand firm. Stand firm. No movement, no wavering, no compromise either in doctrine or character. You stay true to the Word of God. You stay true to godliness. You stay true to purity. You stay true to holiness. You're standing your ground. You're obedient to the Word. Your life flows from truth. It flows uh, from the Word. Biblically, we might say your life is hidden in Christ. Man, what a beautiful image that is. That you are standing firm. Because the world, our culture is like, one day this, one day that, one day this. Are you standing firm? And that's what Paul says. The issue is this. Live a life that carries the name of Jesus and stand firm. Stand firm. And he says in one spirit. That's what it says. Standing firm in one spirit. Little s, not big s. You have one goal, one objective, single-mindedness, clarity, a laser beam focus. You're going to stand firm in one spirit for the faith of the gospel. A manner of life worthy is not a life that has one foot in the world and one foot in the word. Can you imagine how unbalanced you are, how double minded you are, that you're listening. To the philosophies of the world, the things of the world, the arguments of the world, coming under their authority, coming under their principles, in your marriage, in your finances, in your parent raising of of, of children, in all the aspects of your life that you've got one foot in the world and one foot in the Word, guess what? It ain't going to work, is it? It's not going to work. Double mindedness does not produce joy. It produces frustration. Frustration. See, the joy of faith comes when you're standing firm, unmovable, focused on your objective, living in and from God's character and His thoughts. A weighty, purposeful life. So, He says one thing three aspects. First, stand firm. Go back to the text. Read again. He says that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Here's the next fill in the blank. Striving side by side for the gospel, for the faith of the gospel. Side by side. Now this striving is, it's not a military term like the other one, but it is a term that Originated in the world of athletics. In fact, the, the word itself we get the word athlete from. Synathleo. It's like athlete. Paul goes from one person having one focus to now a team, side by side, striving. Follow me on this. A baseball team has one objective, right? One focus. We play baseball. So that we can win team I mean, win games, right? It's the only thing that unites the team is playing baseball. You take away the baseball and you take away the connectedness. There's no more practices, there's no more unity. And part of the joy of faith is that we're a team, striving that, that athletic term that we're on the field together. We've all got our various jobs, and we're moving forward with one goal. And the only common denominator, think about this, this is the only thing that, that binds us together is who? Who is it? Say it loud. Jesus. That's the only thing that we have. In, oh, we might have some other things in common. We speak, you know, English. And, but really the only thing that binds us together, that makes us a team, that we strive together, is Jesus. Take away Jesus, guess what? No more connectedness, no more practices, no more Bible studies, no more potlucks, no more communion, no more Sunday gatherings, no more unity. We would all go our separate ways, wouldn't we? But striving side by side is an aspect of living in the manner worthy of the gospel. Striving, trying to win Committed to the goal of living out our faith so that others can join us. Proclaiming the truth is a team effort. And it takes striving. It means to contend. It means to fight. And then look at verse 28. It says this, And not frightened in anything by your opponents. Interesting word here, it means not being intimidated by the world. Don't be intimidated in your standing and striving by people who are against Jesus. Their hostility in fighting towards the gospel is a sign that they're going to lose and that you're going to win. See, if someone attacks you for your faith, I like this. It indicates that you're a follower of Christ. If you're being talked about at work, if your neighborhood is buzzing because you are a Christian and there's some hostility and animosity towards you because you're just so self-righteous, you're just... They don't understand the gospel, do they? The gospel isn't about self-righteousness. The gospel is all about whose righteousness? Jesus but there's hostility in the world because they don't understand the gospel, and they have hostility towards Christians. And the, look what he says. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So if you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake, say, woohoo! Don't, don't be afraid of it. If someone is cursing you for your faith, take satisfaction that you know that you're on Jesus' side. Uh, true story not that I would get up here and tell a story that wasn't true but it just was so mind-boggling to me this woman came into my office she came in with her boyfriend her boyfriend had been coming to our men's events and then she started to attend church once in a while and she came in and she confessed to me she said I've been coming to your church to give you the evil eye I didn't know what she was talking about I never saw her give me the evil eye, but I guess that every time she came to church, she was glaring at me. And I don't know if she was cursing me in her mind or trying to evoke other powers to do something evil to me. But she was, because I told her boyfriend, stop sleeping with your girlfriend. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you need to listen to the words of Jesus, so knock it off. So he came to his his girlfriend and said, we're not going to have sex again until we get married. Until we can do this God's way, we're not going to have sex. So she got mad and came to church for the sole purpose of giving me the evil eye. Wow. 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 Paul says, don't be intimidated or frightened. Be bold and live for Christ. You're going to win. Rejoice. Standing firm is a way of life for you. Striving side by side together. Now, are we perfect? We said no. Is Jesus perfect? Yes. Do we say spirit i yield to you i don't want to quench you i want you to live in me so that i can live more like jesus that is what this is about your manner of life it's not punching a card because you came to church or you said a prayer or you gave some money it is a way of life it is your worldview. it is the way you approach every aspect of your life and he says stand firm Strive side by side because you got a goal, you got a purpose. It's Jesus, and we're in it together. Because you encourage me, and I hope I, fully I encourage you that as we see the enemy go down, we rejoice. And then there's the third aspect, and this is the toughest one. I, I, I'll get you. I like the standing firm, I like the striving side by side, but Paul's going to say something that makes me a little uncomfortable and it pushes me out, pushes me out of my comfort zone. Look what it says in the text. Verse 29, But it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also what? Suffer for His sake. That's the third fill in the blank. You're going to suffer for His sake. Now Paul turns this concept on its ear. Suffering doesn't mean God is mad at you or God is rejecting you. He says it's a privilege to suffer. It's a privilege to suffer for Jesus. It's a sign of favor. Do you remember when the the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders called in the apostles after Jesus resurrected and left, went back to heaven? They said, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, we ain't going to. So they beat them. I don't know if it was with rods or with whips or just physical blows, but they were beat. And then they were kicked out of the the little assembly. And it says that they went home doing what? Rejoicing that they had an opportunity to suffer the name of Jesus. We don't have that attitude, do we? No, we run to the comfort. We run to the lazy boy. We run to anything but that. But it says here, Paul says, it is a privilege to suffer for the name of Jesus. They were worthy to suffer. You know when Joseph was sold into slavery? I'm going back into the Old Testament. He sold into slavery, but it says God was with him. Then he goes to work for Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife accuses him of, of rape. And so she, he gets thrown into prison, but the text says, but God was with him. And then he's left in prison for a number of years, but it says, God was with him. And then suddenly, in a dime, he's now second man in control of all of Egypt. See, the glory always follows after the suffering. Catch that. The glory follows after the suffering. Daniel in the lion's den. Man, they hated him. They got to the point they threw him in the the lion's den. His enemies wanted to get rid of him because he was faithful to God. When you are faithful to God, the world's going to take notice of you. They're going to malign you. They're going to mistreat you. But what happened with Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel went to bed. Slept soundly. morning the king runs and says, Daniel, are you alive? And he goes, oh, don't worry. My God's awesome. Don't you just want to say that when you say thank you, Jesus? Oh, my God is awesome. So what happened? They haul him out of the lion's den and they throw the people, his enemies, into the lion's den. And it says before they hit the floor, they were already being attacked and devoured. They were taken care of it what did our text say this is a clear sign to them of their destruction how about Esther or Shadrach Meshach and Abednego or Jeremiah or Stephen the very first martyr for for the name of Jesus they stoned that boy to death Stephen looked up and said, I see heaven. I see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. And it just made them so much mad, madder, if that's the correct pronunciation, they killed him. The glory followed. He got a glimpse of the glory. See, even though we suffer, we get a glimpse of the glory. And if you're suffering for Christ, it's physical. It's proof that you're a follower Rejoice and be glad because your reward in heaven is great. See, that takes faith. That takes faith to believe that, doesn't it? It takes faith. I'm going to date myself. Remember when Apollo Creed was beating up Rocky in the 14th and 15th round? And Rocky was like, bring it! And he's just getting pummeled. What did it do to Rocky? Did... Rocky fall over and die? Did Rocky lose the fight? Did Rocky just turn over because he was being just beaten? What was Rocky doing? Come on, Apollo, give me your best shot. That's what we're saying to the world. Give your best shot because I got Jesus. I got Jesus. And you think you're going to destroy me? And the fact is, you're going to be destroyed. And it is a privilege to suffer. For the sake of Jesus. Rocky knew it would just only strengthen his resolve. See, suffering is temporary and it produces, and Corinthians says, a weight of glory. It's temporary for a weight of glory. So here's the bottom line. Whether I come or not, Paul says, only one thing matters. Live your life worthy of carrying around the name of Jesus, of being a Christian. I belong to Christ. Stand firm strive side by side and suffer for living for Jesus and this joy that is supernatural that comes from above comes in and fills you with peace and that joy is yours and it cannot be taken away let me pray